Private Lender Podcast, Episode 108. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Kim Garst, who said, If you don't value your time, neither will others. Stop giving away your time and talents. Value what you know and start charging for it. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. What's going on, everybody? Greetings from the energy capital of the world, Houston, Texas. And welcome to episode 108 of the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and I'd like to thank you for sharing your time with me today. I'd like to ask you, how you doing in this coronavirus? You all right? You hanging in there? You tired of everybody moving the goalpost on you? Saying one thing, you know, going from, hey, look, everyone's going to be fine from one minute to, oh my God, we're all going to die. Anyway, I hope you guys are doing well. Um, that was a failed attempt at humor, so let me just kick into the spiel. Uh, thanks for listening to the Private Learner Podcast. It's the only podcast teaching regular folks just like you and me how to become passive real estate investors and also teaching how to keep our money safe investing with private lending. If you're looking for practical tips and advice on being a private lender, a successful private lender, then you are in the right place. But if you want to learn from my mistakes so that you can avoid them and shorten your own learning curve... Well, then pull yourself up a chair and pour yourself a drink, my friend, because this podcast is for you. Today's topic is one that I'm ashamed to, to say I haven't really covered in the last 100 episodes or so, uh, but today that, that gets changed. And the, the topic is this. I've, I've often, often said the easiest way to get into private lending is to loan your money to a hard money lender, let them do all the work, find the borrowers, vet the deals, you know, look at the numbers, look at the properties, service the loans, make the payments. Now, you're not going to get as much interest or points or you know, you're not going to make as much. But then at the same time, this is really getting passive because you're not doing as much either. You're letting that hard money lender make the decisions, do those works, vet the deals, tell the borrower no, or tell the borrower, yep, we'll do the deal, but you got to have more money, you know, more skin in the game. Uh, and so today I, I, I interview Jason DeBono from New View Trust Company, and this is exactly his own personal strategy. And I'm going to let him uh, discuss it, but it's uh, it's like the truncated version of what I've been um, I've been spitting out for the last uh, 100 episodes or so. So yeah, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into the interview with Jason DeBono. Baba Bowie. Lender Nation with me today is Jason DeBono from New View Trust Company. Jason, welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. Hey, Keith. Good to be here. Hey, um, how are you, man? How's it over? You're in Florida, right? Yeah, we are middle of, of summer in Florida, so it is hot. And, and I think like everyone else, we're all kind of adjusting and adapting to the new normal, but uh, all is well, thankfully. Yeah, we're, we're recording this uh, early July 2020, right in the middle of the corona universe. So, all right, well, I hope you guys are staying safe. How? Uh, just curious, how is uh, New View Trust handling corona? Are you allowing people into the office, uh, customers, or how's that working? Is it all online? Yeah, so we, you know, our business is nationwide. So we, while we do a, you know, fair bit of, of business comes into our office, it's a pretty small 
amount. But yeah, what you know, even before the state shutdown, we had already kind of closed our office to visitors and, you know, have been working through, you know, getting people working from home. And but in our business, because of the line of work that we're in, you know, there's just too many things. We can't let the whole office go home. There's just unfortunately too many things that come into our office, checks and mail and, you know, stuff that sensitive client information. So we want to make sure that we're protecting our clients. And and so we've we've got a pretty good office building here that we can space out in and you know we're taking all the recommended precautions and then a little bit more to try to keep the place spread out gotcha love using self-directed iras for for private lending and so but you have a where i do a lot of it myself you let someone else do the legwork for you which i really want to hear about and please explain it to uh, private lender nation that how um, your process goes from you know having the money in your uh, self-directed IRA to contact or making contact with that hard money lender, looking at the deal and, you know, flowing through the transaction. If you could just start with that. So, you know, being here, you obviously my time is spent, you know, overseeing the business and, and that takes a significant chunk of my time. And so, you know, I don't necessarily always have time to go out and really pound the, the pavement and really be out in the marketplace to find deals directly. And so for me, and I've done this for the last 15 years, you know, I've got about six or eight different groups that are in the lending business that, you know, I think are, are uh, you know, bright and kind of do what they say they're going to do. And I let them source the deals for me. So, you know, I just make it known that, hey, I've got retirement money. If you've got a deal that you don't have the funds for, but you still want to kind of broker it and, and make the money off of it, I'm happy to be a lender. So my approach, and and I can't speak to to everyone, you know, that this is the best approach, but I trade interest for points. So anytime there's a loan that exists out there, either it's been written and, and they just want to sell it and, and recoup the cash or hasn't been written and, and they want to originate it and they need someone to have the money to do that. I have no problem giving up any of the points up front for the right to, uh, to own the loan and own the interest. So it keeps me from having to go out and, and do the legwork, right? It costs me a few percentage points of, of potential value up front. But, you know, in, in my IRA, if I can, if I can have someone, you know, tee me up loans at eight to 14%, you know, time and time again, and I can cherry pick out the ones I want to do and say no to the ones I don't pretty easily, I find it to be a really effective strategy. Right. So you're getting between eight and 14% on your, on your interest rates? Yep. Typically eight to 14%. Very rarely I've done under 8%. It's, you know, a pretty strong deal, shorter term, and, you know, really strong. And there may be some additional value, like an equity kicker at the end or something. So mm -hmm. I'm a believer in making the deal work. So, you know, while about 80% of the deals I've done are all, you know, through kind of a broker, about 20% of the loans that I've done have been direct. And so, you know, if the deal works better at 5% interest, you know, obviously I don't want to make 5%, but I don't mind 5% interest you know, if I'm getting 10% of the deal on the back end or some equity kicker participation. So there's always a way to structure a deal. And at the end of the day, if we can't structure it, you know, we'll move on and, and find another deal. But so yeah, we're pretty flexible in the way that we, you know, we participate so long as the, you know, I like to keep the risk low and, and I like to keep the opportunity, you know, as steady as possible. Right on. And how long are your, uh, your notes normally when you loan out for how long were you loaning them for? Almost always a year. Okay. You know, the, the one thing I do again, you know, I don't know if this is, is the right approach, but anytime the, the loans extend, I do offer a, an extension and, and add a clause, even if it's someone else's loan, you know, that I'm purchasing and I keep the points on any extension. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to extend for at the same terms and, and I usually do extensions in three to six month tranches mm -hmm. and I'll do them at 1% for each extension. So you want to extend for three more months, it's 1%. Okay. And then I get to keep that point. Nice. Okay. And what, what are your hard money lenders? Do you know what their points are usually? He said you, you, give, you let them have the points because that's how they're going to make their money in the churn. 
of, of turning the deals through off the points, you're going to get the interest. How are they, do you know how they're getting paid or how much uh, percentage wise? Yeah. I mean, if typically it's three to five is what I see, but you know, as, as the world gets a little bit more competitive, I mean, you know, in 2010, 11, 12, I mean, you know, we're, we're here in Florida. I mean, we were writing, writing loans at, you know, three to five points and 14% interest regularly, you know, mm -hmm. because the deals were cheap and the numbers worked, right. You know, as these deals get more expensive and, you know, they become, there's more money out in the marketplace to lend, you know, terms naturally compress a little bit. So, you know, I think we're seeing pretty regularly two and 10, you know, on down the middle of the plate deals. That's typically what I've seen lately, but there's still some three to four, you know, point deals out there and, and 11 to 12% interest deals out there just depends on the nature of the deal or, or the background of, you know, of the investor. So these year-long notes are they are these rehab loans are these uh, acquisition and seasoning well, what generally what type of loan or what type of property I should say the uh, the use of the property are you loaning on almost always rehab properties you know I would say probably ninety percent fall into that category just because the you know they they tend to be shorter term in nature and and there tends to be a higher opportunity I did a loan and actually I I wish I could go back and and write about twenty of these I was in two thousand and ten it was a a loan that someone actually kept for five years and they paid 14%. It was unbelievable. Nice. But they were, they bought this property at a steal. The rent was, was through the roof and they figured, well, you know, even at 14%, I might as well, you know, keep renting this thing. They were making a premium even after paying me. And I love that deal. And, and the only reason that, uh, that it ended was the individual that bought it, you know, they got caught, you know, in, in the market, they had terrible credit. They had to, you know, give back some properties and so they had to wait this kind of five-year period where financed the property out, you know, where they were willing to give them a loan and they refinanced out. I mean, they made a ton of money and candidly, I mean, I made a ton of money over, <laughs> over it because I was getting a point, you know, every year in between and I was getting 14% and the borrower never missed a payment. I mean, it was, it was a unicorn of a deal without a doubt. Nice. You got to love that, man. You keep getting 14% and uh, pulling some points here and there at the same time. That's really cool. Yeah, I could see where you'd want a, a ton of those notes sitting in your portfolio, man. Definitely. Yeah. Well, especially a tax advantage account like an IRA, right? Well, exactly. Especially now with, you know, Corona, COVID, everything in the $3 trillion that just got pumped. I am, it is my mission in life to convert everything over to my Roth IRA now so that I don't have to, I'm, I will of the mind tax my seeds not my crop because my, my crop will be much, much bigger in the future if, if I do my due diligence properly and all that kind of stuff. So I'm on board with you 100% with that. And in fact, recently I am self-employed, but I'm just doing it through an LLC right now. So I'm, I'm going to set up a C-Corp or an S-Corp and then pay myself and my kids. So if my kids have earned income, what can they do? Add it to a Roth IRA. Boom, right there up to the same amount. I told my kids, look, if you know, I'll pay you minimum wage for the mostly internet research and doing some mailers and stuff, but busy work. And I told him, I said, I will match whatever you earn. I'll put it into your IRA because that's legally what you can do. So that's the plan. And that's a complete, sorry, I just went down that rabbit hole. Yeah, that is a fantastic plan. And in fact, I'd even take it a step further, you know, to say you could even look at potentially some, some health savings accounts, uh, Coverdale educational accounts and, you know, inside for those kids as well, or in a health savings account for the family. There's there's a lot of money that you can sock away in, in a lot of these accounts and so many people miss opportunity because they just don't look for it. You're doing a fantastic job. You're going to help your kids, you know, forget about the money they'll have. You're going to teach them the power of compound growth. And, and that's what keeps the wealthy wealthy. Yeah, no, right. It's uh, was Einstein said was the eighth wonder of the world's compound interest. That's exactly right. I think, yeah, you know, leave it alone and watch it grow. And that's my strategy is what I suggest people do if they can, if they're in a tax situation. 
to just go ahead and start moving everything over little by little into Roth, pay a little now. And I've been, you know, making my conversions little by little as, as the deals come through. So it's not a huge tax burden. It'll take me a little while to, to switch it all over, but I, hopefully I'll get to enjoy that money someday. But if not, then, you know, it'll be passed down to the kids. You know, like you said, that's how the wealthy stay wealthy. So yeah, that's a great strategy. That's the whole point. So, all right. So you're doing mostly flips. You're out in Florida, Florida. That's a deed of trust or a mortgage state. It's a mortgage state. Okay. It is a mortgage state. Okay. So yep. my understanding is with a deed of trust, there are three parties. There's the lender, the borrower, and then there's the trustee that holds title until the contract is complete. There's no third party in Florida then with a the mortgage state then. That's right. So it's just the borrower and the lender. And so the lender retain title until the, the loan is paid off? Nope. So the title is held by the property owner, right? Which would be the, the borrower, but there's a lien on that title okay. until it's satisfied. So once it's satisfied, satisfaction of mortgage is, is sent over to the county and then the, the lien itself is removed from that you know, property. Okay. Yeah. So it's very similar then. Yeah. It's just terminology and semantics, I guess. Yep. And you guys are nationwide, right? You, you guys will... Um... Yeah. We have clients in all 50 states. Yeah. We've got international clients, both that live internationally and clients that even invest internationally. So, you know, an IRA is a domestic product, but there's nothing that prevents you from making international investments. So sky's the limit in a self-directed account. And there's something else. And I know we didn't speak about this earlier, so it's not really a curveball. It's a curveball for me, but you guys allow investments in cryptocurrency, do you not? Yeah, we do. Um, so, you know, we're not the facilitator of the crypto investment. We're just the custodian of the entity that owns the crypto. So what we do in, in that manner is customer come to us. They say, I want to invest in crypto. We'll work with them to set up a, an entity, an LLC. The IRA will invest into the LLC and then the LLC will participate in whatever crypto platform, storage, you know, wallet that they choose. They'll keep track of everything. So it gives the most flexibility. You're not, you know, you're not limited to what our platform offers. You basically have anywhere you can go open an account, you can go set up a, a crypto trading platform. Nice. Okay. Do you dabble in crypto? You know, I do not personally dabble. I did own some of the GBTC, right? Global Bitcoin Trust stock, which is basically the, the Bitcoin, almost like a Bitcoin mutual fund type investment publicly traded. So I did buy some of that and, and I was fortunate. Uh, to buy it at a decent price and and kind of run the wave up and then part of the way back. But it was it was good. I, you know, for me, I love, it's funny, if you invited me to Vegas, I'd grab my wallet and you wouldn't have to even finish the sentence. I'd be on the next plane. I, you know, I'm, I enjoy going and gambling, but that's where I keep my gambling is I limit it to that. So, you know, if I'm there for 48 hours and I'll hit the blackjack table and I'm all about getting rich quick in that environment, once I leave Vegas, it's not gambling anymore for me. And, you know, I'm not trashing Bitcoin or, or any other crypto by any stretch of the imagination. I actually think there may be a place for crypto in the long term kind of holding sense. But I don't like to play the short game. You know, I know a lot of people have made a ton of money in the stock market, truth be told. And I'm embarrassed when I tell this story, but I very rarely own stocks. When I do, I buy companies, I think, kind of have a good, you know, fundamental business. But I am the guy that if you look at the the, the COVID-related drop and rise, if you kind of go to the very lowest point, I don't quite know. I believe it was March 19th. I think I'm a day or two away from that, but I sold Apple, Amazon, and Netflix, honest to God, at the very low of the market. And, you know, it, they all three are at record highs. Um, they've, they've all significantly blown away where they were even pre-COVID. But, you know, I, I don't buy stocks for that reason because I don't know how to time them up. I don't know how to time them down. But what I do know is if I buy a loan, or I invest into a loan and it's a good quality property that's got good financial backing 
and it's a good quality borrower that that has a like you know high likelihood of being successful with the deal i'm happy to make my eight 10, 12, sometimes 14%. So like I said, I leave the gambling stuff to Vegas. And even though I, looking back, uh, hindsight, I'd love to still own those stocks knowing what I know today. But you know what? I haven't had to watch this game. I don't have to wake up with the stress. I'm happy with that stress, you know, at the blackjack table. I don't need that in my everyday life. So for me, it's tried and true. Private lending and passive investing is, is the only way that I I put money to work. I'm right in line with you on the whole Vegas thing. In fact, I went a couple of years ago was the last time I went. And for the first time in my life, I did not gamble. I walked through both the Luxor and Mandalay Bay casinos daily and never, never cashed in anything, just kept walking. And that was a big win for me. And I, I'm still riding that win because <laughs> normally I'm penniless and I'm, you know, I'm, yep. I'm asking people for money so I can have a sandwich, you know, friends or whatever. Yeah. But. Well, Vegas, it will eat you alive. So yeah, I, you know, I think everything in moderation has its point, but uh, good for you. That's a, a strong sense of willpower. So, well, n- now that's not going to happen the next time I go, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to make up for lost time because I myself, I usually start off at the blackjack table, get down and then throw Hail Marys at the craps table and try to get back up, you know? So, yeah, but like you, I mean, it's more for me, it's it's just entertainment and blowing off stress and and drinking what I think is high quality liquor when they're just watering down the uh, well stuff. Right. Well, quality goes out the window when they're free, right? Oh, absolutely. we, We care about quality when we pay for them. Yep. But Vegas has it figured out. If they don't take your money at the tables, boy, they'll take more else. But, you know, my philosophy is is simple. Um, you know, in 48 hours, there's only so much damage I can do. And and it satisfies and scratches that itch. And and for most people, they're scratching that itch today on the Robinhood app, trying to get rich overnight because they somehow think that, you know, they, they, they understand why Tesla went from being valued at, you know, 80 billion to 250 billion overnight. And somehow they are smart enough to understand it and, and they're going to get rich as a result. And they're all welcome to play that game. I'll take my, you know, 48 to 72 hour lumping every now and then in Vegas and, and the rest of the year, you know, tried, true and steady is the best way to go. Absolutely. And that's, that's the beauty of private lending, right? You got a piece of property that if anything, if, if this thing goes tits up, bam, there's a piece of property that you can go get Yep. and you're not going to lose everything. You know, my first pillar of private lending is, is ROI, return of investment. So if I'm giving out 50 or hundred grand, I want to make first point, I want to make sure that's coming back. Then what's, what's the, what's the return on the investment after that? You know, that, that's kind of my thing. So, and that's why I like the private lending and I also like passive. Cause like you are a full-time employee of new view trust company. That's your day job. Right. And so the last thing you want to do is another day job flipping or running the contractors or, you know, you You've got a good source of income. You maximize that. And then, like you said, passively on the side, you take your self-directed IRA, put it into the private loans, asset-backed lending, you know. And I don't know, but private lending is one of the few investment vehicles that the common man can participate in, which you can get insurance policies to protect, you know, the, the property. You know, being here from Houston, I don't know if you heard about this little storm called Harvey. And uh, you guys being in Florida, hanging out there in the water, you know, hurricanes happen, right? Oh, yeah. They, you know, they do happen. So I always require flood insurance, even if, I mean, it's four or 500 bucks a year. And I always tell borrowers, you know, flippers, they're like, hey, oh, come on, don't make me get it. I'm like, look, if $400 is going to break your deal, it's not a deal. Right. And I don't want to lend to you anyway. So, you know, if that's a problem, then it's just, you know, CYA. Because I, I want to say this last time when Harvey hit, you know, because it wasn't a typical storm like you guys get, you know, there was this, you know, massive cyclone just coming up Florida with winds. And with Harvey, for us, it was just tons of rain, just rain and rain and rain and rain. And um, 80% of our understanding was about only 20% flood insurance. 20% of the homes affected had flood insurance. So that immediately went into my criteria 
that day when I heard that on, uh, I heard that on the local news. So, you know, on, on that note, I mean, I preach, you know, obviously due diligence being that we're in the, you know, self-directed account space, but especially in private lending, you know, title insurance, it's required. You know, I have so many times that people have said, you know, Hey, listen, I, I know this deal. Do you care if I don't get title insurance, you know? And I say, well, that depends. Do you care if I don't write the loan? You know, it's a given. It, it protects us all, you know, title insurance, hazard insurance, flood insurance. I mean, these are all things that are easily verified. And in fact, one of the things that, that is on my checklist for any renewal. So if I'm going to, somebody's going to do a one-year loan and they're going to renew it, they better send me verification of hazard insurance, verification of, of the flood insurance, you know, and if they have it. And then I also go onto the county's website and make sure the taxes are paid. And these things don't sound like big deals and it, I'm not smart. I just check off a couple boxes but I've seen so many deals go sideways where, you know, why do I want to write, extend a loan for someone that hasn't paid the tax bill? Exactly. Or their insurance has lapsed. You know, all that does is put me at risk. But furthermore, if they can't pay the tax bill, they're not taking a, an extension because this is a good deal for them. They're probably taking an extension because they can't figure out how to pay me. And the sooner I've, you know, I've learned in this business, the sooner that you act when you smell something is wrong, act. You know, if you call me and tell me that you're late, listen, I'm a compassionate guy. I understand things happen. Tell me why you're late. Not an excuse. You got one opportunity. What happened? You go to Vegas. I don't care, but tell me what happened and tell me how we're going to get this back on track. Because if not, I am going to start the process as quickly and efficiently and expeditiously as possible. Because waiting six months, listening to your, you know, your hard luck story, while I may be empathetic, is only going to ensure that I lose more money. And that's not how business works. So, you know, those are all little things. I love that you talk about insurance because they're checkboxes that private lenders gloss over. And, and it's that, you know, and I, I love what's behind you the never trust always verify you know the yep. kind of quasi ronald reagan you know trust but verify right i yeah. think you're as honest as can be just prove it that's all well, that's it you know i got that because you know i did a cardinal sin very early on i, I loaned in the second position and you know i stuck thirty thousand dollars in the wind yep. for 18 months and it wasn't so much that the borrower's plans didn't work out she called me the month before it was due and said hey i haven't sold this property you know blah 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 and so i looked into the foreclosure Text is non-judicial, so it's just go down, file it, you know, pretty simple stuff. And but I quickly realized that I had trusted her comps and her property value. Yep. And after I went through, paid the lawyer, got this thing sold and my money back, I was gonna it was gonna cost me money. So therefore my money was held hostage for an additional six months. It was held hostage for six months. And in that six months, I missed out on a lot of opportunity costs, you know, during that time for the same, basically it wasn't that great of a deal. Uh, I did get a little bit higher interest rate. I got 13%, but I also learned don't chase interest rates. Um, make, you make sure that they, they just put more money, skin in the game kind of thing. So yeah, you know, my money, my terms, look, I've met a few people that, you know, like I'm going to teach you how to get uh, private money lenders and you're not going to have any money out of your pocket. Not with me. Now, I will do loans like that, but the LTV, the loan to value has got to be below 40%. Yep. Right? Got to be below. So yeah, I will say, yeah, you can you know, borrow up to 50, you know, borrow that, that, that free money. I'm still in at 50%. I'm still protected. You know, my money's still protected. So anyhow, that's just... Um, one of my things that I, uh, I like to... Uh, I love it. I, I love skin in the game. You know, it's easy to walk away from zero, 
right? You got to have some risk. And some of the things that we've done in some loans, and I don't know how valuable this is, but you know, for, for the listeners today, but will require escrow some of the rehab costs, depending on how aggressive the, the borrower is trying to get. And we'll actually pay out of escrow after work's completed. So, you know, if you want, and we have an inspector go out, it costs them 50 bucks every time the inspector shows up. So, you know, and they want to take a draw. So we'll take, you know, on a, say a hundred thousand dollar loan, we may take 20 or $30,000, put it in escrow and we'll give it to you as often as you want. So you want to go and, and paint the house. If we think that's worth a thousand bucks and the inspector goes and says, yep, house is painted. There's a thousand bucks, but we're going to withhold 50 of it for the inspector's fee. And you'd be amazed, you know, what you learn from people in that process, because it, it causes them to have to put some money up and we're not doing it. You know, I don't do those loans because I want to avoid writing the loan. I want to do that loan because it tells me if it's worth writing the loan. If you mean to tell me that the deal's so tight for you that you can't paint the property, you know, or you can't go pre-order the cabinets first without having my money, then you got nothing. And if this thing lasts a month longer than you think, or your pro formas, you know, get slightly off track, I'm in trouble. And so, you know, it's a good test and uh, it's a little bit of at work and effort and, you know, managing it, but you know, it, it's prevented some deals and, and it's ensured some deals panned out so that you don't take something back, you know, that, that you're thinking it's going to have a nice new kitchen in it. And none of the work gets done. Right. You know, absolutely. Yeah. The, the last thing you want to do is find out you paid retail for a piece of crap. Right. You know, <laughs> and unfortunately, I know some people who have. Like two weeks ago, uh, went down in South Houston in videotape. Uh, videotape. God, I'm showing my age. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm a child of the '80s, the Atari generation. But yeah. Anyway, we went down. I made a video recording of of what I let the borrower. He's kind enough to walk through and say, you know, these were my mistakes. You know, he trusted the the borrower. I mean, they took the lender down. He trusted the borrower. This and that. Ended up at the end of the day, he paid one hundred thirty thousand dollars for a house that's worth about sixty because all the money went up front. And none of the work was completed. And by the time we showed up, there's nothing in the kitchen. Not only was there, was there no new kitchen, it was gutted, right? So yeah, no, the escrow, who normally holds that for you guys in Florida? Is there a difference? Is it a title company or an attorney will hold it? Yeah, any of the above. I mean, in, in theory, you know, anyone can hold escrow. I mean, I'm sure legally, right. you know, it needs to be a title company. But yeah, we, we always insure a third party. We do a lot of our deals in land trusts. You know, there's some anonymity in a Florida land trust. There's also some value in potentially, every deal's different, but potentially easing the foreclosure process. So technically in, in a lot of our deals, the way that they're structured, it's not a foreclosure. If you don't make your payments to the land trust, you forego your ownership of the land trust. So the secondary or secondary beneficial owner of the land trust basically becomes the primary. So, you know, if I write my loan to you and you stop making payments, you've just given up your right to be the the owner of that land trust, the attorney, the trustee typically is an attorney, says, you know, these are the terms, you violated them, you're no longer part of the land trust. And, and now the next beneficial owner, which is me as the lender or, or a group, if, if there's multiple lenders, is now the owner. And so, you know, it, it, it's not completely bulletproof, but it's a pretty cool strategy to alleviate some of the headaches that come with foreclosures. Yeah, it's almost so it's like a built-in deed in lieu almost. Like, so if you don't make your payments, it's, uh, it's already set in the, uh, the wording of the trust. Yeah. So they're not giving up, you know, in, in a typical loan, right? I give you the money, you have the title and I got to come get it back from me if you stop paying me. In this environment, it says the land trust owns the property, right? right? And the beneficial owner of the land trust is you, so long as you do all the things that the agreement says you will do. If you fail to do those things, you're no longer the rightful owner of the right. land trust and, and the secondary, you know, owner's basically take over. So it doesn't mean that, you know, there can't be some legal battle. I mean, you could certainly, you know, 
go out and file a lawsuit. But what I found over the years is that most people, when they know they've screwed up, when they know they can't pay, you know, obviously, and especially if an attorney is the one telling them that, hey, listen, you know, you've got one more month to, to make current or you're going to forfeit your ownership in this land trust. You know, they realize if I don't do it, there's probably not much recourse. And at that point, they don't have the financial means to, you know, go out and, and hire an attorney. Not that it would do them any good, but just to try to stall the process. I mean, let's face it, right? right. You know, unfortunately, the eviction and foreclosure process is not about who's right. It's about following you know, a, a series of bureaucratic red tape to try to get back, you know, what really is rightfully yours. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm pro-business. I understand people, you know, have problems. And I think every good lender should work with their borrowers and every good borrower should work with their lenders. It's a two-way street, right? But unfortunately, that's not the way the world works. So, you know, when you find good borrowers and, and they do what they say they're going to do and they protect your interests at all costs, those are the people that I want to write loans to all day long. And, you know, you find that there's a lot of those people out there. You don't have to, to your point, go chase yield, right? I mean, you don't have to go, I'm perfectly happy at 8% writing a loan to someone that I've done 12 loans for, right? I know that even if this deal goes sideways, this person is going to, you know, scrape their couch cushion to make me whole. There's not a chance in hell they're not going to pay me unless things have gotten so bad. And, and they'll pick up the phone and tell me that well before they get to that point. So, you know, this is a business that if you're going to be in it, you know, it is a business and you got to treat it like a business and good customers deserve preferential treatment and bad customers, you know, there's no, if you're running a good business, there's no place for bad customers. Not at all. Not at all. I agree. And I like how, you know, back to your Vegas analogy and keeping your risk at the table and then, you know, the investment side, no, it's, it's conservative, you know, it's tortoise in the hair. And I'll take the tortoise all day long, you know, because to your point, you know, that, that embarrassing story about getting out of the stock market, did you make money? Well, thankfully I made a few, I mean, compared to what I could have made, you know, I, I did, I yielded a positive return, but you know, here's the thing, there's no possible way I could have known what was going to happen or had any control. And, you know, looking back, it's like saying, oh man, you know, I, I should have held this longer. It's no different than saying, man, I pulled my chips off the table and there was three blackjacks in a row. Like, okay, well, it doesn't matter what happened after you left, what happened while you were there. You're still positive. Yeah. So yeah, that's the good thing. Yeah. It was, I'm not a very proud stock investor. You know, I, I'm not a good stock investor. That's why I only buy a few stocks. And when it gets to be volatile, I'm out of there. You know, I just want nothing to do with it. It's not my cup of tea. Yeah. yeah I, um, around that same time, I, I basically piggybacked uh, a friend of mine texted me and he, uh, he has uh, it's quite a bit of money. So he pays someone to do his stock trading for him. And I just, you know, jokingly said, what'd you buy? You know, and he just hit the list. So I, was, I got into some Uber, Apple, Google, anyway, a few others and Boeing. Uh, once, they, once Boeing hit bankrupt or the government said they're going to protect Boeing, I'm like, well, then this is not capitalism. Right. You know, like this is just put my money in this and okay, let it, you know, let the government, you know, fund it. But uh, yeah, I just, I just piggybacked and uh, wow, I was just looking up to try to see my, you know, I'm definitely up right now. It's through no genius or, you know, discerning mental capabilities that I have. I just, my buddy was doing it. It sounded like a good idea. Someone who does this for a living told him to do it. And it's like, you know what, if, if this is better than just throwing a dart, you know, so at least there's somebody's done some due diligence. I haven't, but somebody's, you know, done it. And so I just piggybacked and, um, yeah, it's it's worked out and, and don't feel bad. I've I bought a four dollar stock. I sold half of it at twelve. I sold the rest of it at twenty-four. It went to one eighty, split three ways, went back up to one fifty, split twice. 
But again, once you're at, <laughs> once you're off the table, it doesn't matter, man. You know, you know, and and you got to look at what you did with the money. You know, the the market is so hard, and my big biggest issue with investing is, you know, my philosophy is I need to understand when I make money how, so I can do more of it, and I need to understand when I lose money why so I can stop doing more of it and avoid it. You know, there's nothing in the market. If you ask me what I did right and did wrong, I would say I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, as much as I'd rather be lucky than good in life, that's not how I invest. So, you know, it's one of those, you you know, kind of going back to Bitcoin. I'm happy that someone told me about it. I probably would have never heard of it. I bought some, it went way up. I sold a good portion of it. I made some money and, you know, I don't even look at what it went up to or what it's gone down to. And, you know, I could keep playing that game and buying and selling and trying to ride the wave up and ride the wave down. And I don't have the patience, certainly not the skill set. I think most importantly, I don't have the, you know, the blood blood pressure medication to manage through that process. So I like to stay in my lane. I like to know what someone's going to pay me in advance. I like to know what my downside risk is. I like to know I've got protection. And then I like to know that if, I, if I'm if i successful at this, I can do it again and do it again and rinse and repeat. And, and yeah. boy, that's a good feeling. It really is. And like you said, you, know, you, get, you do 12, 10 loans with somebody, you get, that's a true private lender. You know, that's- yeah. I love how people say, oh, you know, it's, well, I'm a private lender. No, you're a hard money lender. You're taking, you know, you're just marrying people, whatever. I mean, right. so, you know, it's semantics. I know we're splitting hairs, but at the same time, no, that to me is a true private lender. You have a personal relationship with somebody. I've got, you know, guys that I will agree to the loan on the phone. Now they got to send me everything, but I'll go ahead. Tell me about it. And I trust them. I know their, their business. They've been doing it a lot longer. They went through 2008. You know, they're seasoned as an investor. And yeah, they'll provide me everything. And I've got one guy, I haven't loaned to him in a while and I'm, he's gone more into the, uh, the commercial space in wholesaling. But I call him, I was like, man, come on. Like, you got to do something. You got to, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm wholesaling. I'm like, no, man, I got money. Like, I'll, right. you know, <laughs> you know, I was like, your LTVs are out of sight, man. You know, like I will loan to you day in and day out. And so he's like, okay, well, you know, he's keeping in mind, keeping in mind, he's looking, you know, like everyone else, we're waiting for the bottom to drop out, you know, so we can get in on some, on some good deals. But that's, you know, having that relationship, being able to say, yeah, I'll do the loan. Yeah, I'll still vet it. I'll look at the numbers. I'll, I'll run my own comps, for example. But yeah, that's having that in your back pocket is such a powerful tool for a real estate investor. And having that that investor in yours as a lender is a very, very powerful tool. So win-win and, and those are the best kind of deals. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, tell us a little bit about New View Trust and how we can get a hold of you guys or learn more about, you know, your self-directed IRAs, the crypto. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little, I'm going to, uh, there's a scratch. I'm going to have to scratch that itch <laughs> into that there. Just because for me, crypto is pure speculation, but I want to put a little something, you know, out there. You know, speculation is not a bad thing when you call it speculation from the get-go. Right. I mean, yeah. there's nothing wrong with, you know, at being in Florida, obviously we like to fish and, and there's nothing wrong with throwing that big old hunk of bait out there that, you know, you know, nine out of 10 times, it's probably not going to do you any good, but the one out of 10 times it does, boy, it could be really good. So, yes. you know, this, I'm with you. There's a place for speculation. And as long as it's a small, insignificant piece of your portfolio, I think everybody should have a couple of big lines out in the, uh, out in the water. So, but Newview Trust, we're, we're a custodian. We hold retirement accounts that hold private lending and, and any other variety of non-public investment. We've been in business. We've got nearly a billion and a half dollars under custody. So, you know, we're, we've been there, done that. We're a South Dakota charter trust company. So we've got our compliance office in South Dakota from a, a uh, overall corporate compliance. And then we have our administrative office, which handles uh, more of the day-to-day operational activities with our customers, which is based out of Florida. Easiest way to find us is the web 
web, newviewtrust.com with a U-N-U-V-I-E-W, trust.com. Chock full of information. We got a ton of events and educational content, some recorded, some upcoming that's all posted there. So take a look and certainly happy to help have these discussions on a one-on-one basis with our team. If you think it's something that makes sense, we can walk you through kind of how it works and you know give you the pros and cons and, and let you make a decision if it's the right tool for you. That's great. Newviewtrust.com, right? You got it. All right. Well, Jason, thank you for coming on. I'm going to have to come to Florida. I like fishing myself. Perfect. You know, maybe if I do open up a crypto account with you guys, maybe we can go, uh, come on a Friday. We can go, we can go fishing early some Saturday, but uh, I might be a private lender, but I'm all, I'm hundred percent redneck. I love the outdoors. So <laughs> well, good. Well, you'll fit in great uh, down here with us. So anytime you want to come down, come set up your account and we'll, we'll use it as a cheap excuse to get out on the water. Awesome. That sounds good. Jason, thank you so much. Remember everyone go to newviewtrust.com, N-U-V-I-E-U trust.com. Thanks, Heath. Take care, man. All right. Take care. Baba Bowie. And there you have it, everybody. I want to thank Jason DeBono from New View Trust Company for coming on the show today and sharing his time with us and his insight as well. For more information about Jason and New View Trust Company, please head over to the show notes page at privatelenderpodcast.com, episode 108. And as always, I don't charge money for this show, but I do ask that you please help spread the word and increase awareness by leaving an honest rating and review over at iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever platform you are using to hear my voice. An honest rating and review is the fastest and most effective way you can help contribute to the show. And I'd also really appreciate it if you did. All right, it's time to wrap it up. So until we meet again, please stay safe, stay healthy, and stay free. I also wish you safe and prosperous private lending. I'll catch you on the next episode. Y'all take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.